first pitch up and away. I'm telling you, he can't command anything right now. And if he's going to flip a curveball, it's going to be a hanger. Olsen's about to hit a homer. He's hitting 430 the last his last six. Oh, I don't know if he's trust a homer, me. but he's gonna he's gonna put a charge into one. Trust me, he was uh, on the, mired in a wicked slump coming into the last weekend of fantasy season, and then he's proceeded to absolutely rake the reason rake. the season the week after the season's over. Season's over for you, buddy. Fastball in in both leagues. You're a little behind. Do you hear hear the broadcast on my phone? Yes, I know. I'm Do you want me to mute it? Too. No, it's fine. I just want to know why we're not doing the chop right now. 2-0? What are we doing? Are we dead? We're trying to win a division down here. Ooh. <laughs> oh, 3-0. Now we're getting tight. Actually, a walk here doesn't actually burn you. Except for the fact that he's rattled and the crowd those is two guys. getting after it. Atlanta's finest, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> Love the foam, foam fingers. 3-0. Green light? Of course. That, that's a good 3-0 pitch. That's yeah, that's a, a dot, and that's a good take. <laughs> Well, and that thing ran more yeah. than the width of the plate there. I probably had about 18 and a half inches of run. You ain't, you don't want that. What's huge here is now you, the big, the biggest thing is Morton was kind of laboring, and now Bassett's up over 60 pitches in the third. Here we go. Walked him. Here we go. Now you get Darno though, so you can still hold the one-run lead. Yeah, but – Yeah, about time with the mound visit. I've been – I mean, I would have been out there after – he went two three zero to to Dansby, or when he hit Riley. Can we get the chop going? What are we doing down there? They usually Mound do visit. During cut the lights. Visits. Yeah, yeah, and cut the lights. Let's go. This is a huge AB. He's just lost it. He's so max effort. I don't know how he doesn't lose the zone more often. Like that's just you want to talk about having control of your body and knowing what it's doing to be able to throw like him. And not just walk the world all the time. He, he he looks like a baby giraffe on the mound. I know. Well, like, look at his glove at release. Like, where his glove side is at release. That's why some of those old school drills don't work. You'll never be like yeah. Chris. Chris Bassett. Could you imagine trying to keep Chris Bassett? Like, hey, take it straight forward. He'd be throwing 86. Dude, somebody's getting hot with no hat on. My God. Yeah, because we got to get the pitch com. We got to get the pitch com set up. My God! What happens when there's a fight? It's chaos in the bullpen. Oh, I like the approach though. Going after first pitch, hacking no matter what. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because you're what? What is it? Eighty eighty percent strikes after a mound visit. Is it? It was at one point this year. I don't even care. He's got to come at you. Like you know, you're right. Well, I mean, I'm always favorable to swing. After a mound visit, because people are going to try and get right back in the zone, right? They've taken their deep breath. You know what? Can't take that one. Can't take you, that. You know what? Surprise! Yeah, he's sitting off speed. He's Travis Darno. He knows his role. He can't. He's not in fastball adjust. You know why I don't like he's Travis Darno? I feel like I have a very legitimate complaint here. Why? He's always got his hair sticking through his helmet, and it drives yeah. me nuts. You can't so tell me bad. that doesn't get him fastballs. Does it? Well, exactly. It's just like you're right. Sloppy sleeves get you fastballs. So does having your hair sticking through the. Ooh, he's lucky he didn't get punched there. So does having your hair sticking through the helmet. Also, never never lines up the beard. Just always has a neck beard. Looks like he just looks. He gets up to the plate and it's like, did this guy just? Did they just wake him up in the clubhouse? <laughs> he was knocked on the couches in the clubhouse and now he's in a <laughs> box in a huge situation. That's off. It was caught terribly, but missed spot. Oh! Way to fight. One, two here. Do you triple up? You got to, right? If he's going to swing it back, I, I, I still think he's sitting off speed. Yeah, but if he's going to expand, but if he's sitting off speed and he takes it, then maybe not. If he I tried to back pitch, after that just, curveball. Backdoor fast two seam on the outside corner, get him looking. Yeah, but then, but 
I don't think you'd get him looking. I think if he's swinging at that, he's in defense mode, and he might fight a fastball off down the line to right. I would throw that again off For the plate. a knock, though, you think? Well, they're going fastball. Maybe not. He's just deking. He tried to do what you did and overthrew it. That's what I'm saying. If he swings that far off the off the plate on a slider, why wouldn't you go back out there again? Because what are the chances he fouls it off? I, I feel like you can get weak contact there. Or I just swing think miss. It, it, to me it came back to his his o his o one take told me because again Dar knows knows his role. He's a smart hitter that he's sitting. So if you paint it, speed. yeah. So if so you, you paint, paint it, it, you think you would have froze him? Yeah. Because he's looking for something slower. He knows himself. I just worry that he reckon, he recognizes fastball in enough time to get barrel to it if you tried to do that and it's out over the plate. Maybe come yeah, in. I, I don't know he if came he's in. that. See? See, that's why I'd rather come in. See how it beat him? If that's yeah. a way and he gets barrel to that, you're in trouble. Now you have to go soft, which I don't see. Yes. I didn't like doubling up fastball there either. Because now. Yeah, because now, now Darno is selling out on breaking ball. Right and, and anything I, in the anything out of the strike zone and down he's he's getting he's on he's covering he's taking it for a ball anything in the strike zone so you so you almost have to triple up you and think. I would go in again but you go with your best I'm stuff going in here, if right? I'm tripling up yeah which I'm going fastball in he did he got bat to it wasn't in enough was it good at bat playoff baseball is awesome we're not even there yeah, yet. Yeah. Like third inning, and this feels like the game's on the line. We're in the third inning. He's also at 70 pitches. This is huge for the Braves. Two, two. He's gone three in a row. Now you have to go soft. Now I think I think going three in a row there opened yourself up. You you have some you have some avenues here, and you have one to play with. Yeah. Oh, he hung it. He hung it up the middle. Tie game. He hangs it. He went curveball instead of slider. Go. Ah. Run. Two runs. Tie game. No, lead. Lead. It's the lead. Oh, because they had just walked it. That's right. They had walked it to make it. Th- he walked the guy before him to make it 3-2. Now you got to go to the pen. Play the song. Powered by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Episode, I have no idea, 19? <laughs> 18? <laughs> what episode are we on? <laughs> Upside down, 9, so you were close enough. 16. Episode 16 of the Backside Grab Ball Pod. Uh, we are live. It's Sunday night. You just heard us watching Sunday Night Baseball. Bets um, and Braves battling for the NL East. Just a little flashback. If we had the capabilities to do this, I would just take you back to the clip from the episode. But after the the Mets took four or five from the Braves, me and Trev said it's it's not over. Braves are taking the first two in the series. They have a one game lead in the East. They also have a lead now. They just knocked Chris Bassett out after two and two thirds. The lights are gone. The chop is going. It's first and third. I love playoff baseball. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. You can tell the intensity of that game is pretty high. Chris Bassett's getting a little bit of worked up. Baby Giraffe moving around up there, um, losing his mechanics, losing a feel for the ball. The chops getting to him. It's always fun to watch. Atlanta's finest going nuts in the crowd. Atlanta's finest. They deserve this after what the dogs did on the road in Columbia, Missouri last night. We don't need to cover that. Um, just saying these fans, I'm happy for them. Um, but yeah, that's where we sit. Here we are Sunday night. There's everyone in the league has three games left. The American league playoff picture outside of seating is set with playoff spots. The NL is rolling. Um, we still have, uh, sorry, we still have some playoff spots open in the national league. Uh, the last playoff spot, the Padres clinched today. So what we know in the National League is the Mets, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Cardinals, and the Padres are all in. The Phillies and Brewers are, are fighting for the last wild card spot. 
and the Braves and Mets are, are battling for the division. Winner wins the East and gets a bye. Loser will have to play what probably is going to be the Padres, considering the Phillies have to go to Houston. Um, magic number's one, so they win a game, Brewers lose a game, they're in. But it looks like the seating's going to be set there. So it would be either the Brewers or Phillies in St. Louis, and the um, loser of the NL East um, is going to play the pot, host the Padres in the wild card round. Marcelo Zuna up there with no approach. Gotta love it. Can't believe this to run Scott out there. Anyway, what do you got on the NL playoff picture? Nothing. I mean, just on the whole, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting to see, obviously, with the Braves and the Mets going at it right now. The loser of that, I do think, has a, obviously a little bit more work to do, getting their pitching lined up um, and, and having to play the Padres. I know the Padres haven't been exactly the, you know, up to expectations, up to par, but I'm sorry, in a three-game series, when you got Juan Soto, Manny Machado in a lineup, that's that's a team you do not want to run into. You Darvish is going to give you a quality outing. Joe, Joe Musgrove has been very good since he's come over to San Diego, and next thing you know, you're in a dogfight. Um, and kind of the same thing from the from the Phillies standpoint. If the Phillies do squeak in here, that pitching staff, Wheeler, I know it was against the Nationals, so it's not anything to write home about. It's not a playoff team, but Wheeler's looking healthy. His velo's up. His swing and miss is good. Aaron Nola is about as quality of a big game pitcher as Max Scherzer. So um, take that for what you <laughs> think you. it is. <laughs> Thank you. <So>, uh, <laughs> but that, neither of those teams are teams I'd want to see. So, you know, it makes this game tonight. The Mets got to get this thing back to square and, and kind of go into that last series against the Nationals in a, in a better position if they really want to avoid avoid really either of those teams, but particularly the the Padres and obviously the Cardinals are going to be in a dogfight with the with the Phillies. And how big – so that's kind of what I want to know is how big of a deal is it for either one of these teams to lose the division race? Obviously take the buy out of it, right, because you need the buy. The buy is just huge this year um, with the other teams having to play, you know, a wild card series. You know, that makes this massive. But take that out of it. And just as far as matchup standpoint goes, having to play the Padres. I know you just kind of broke it down for us, but which of these teams matches up better? Like, is this a disaster for the Mets? Because for me, if I'm the Mets, this is going to be devastating. It's like, it's hard to say because as devastating as this can be, right, where they had a huge lead, you know, guys on on the fan up in New York and are talking about the, the division's over, the NL East is over on June 1st, right, doing what all great New York fans do and, and making proclamations that they have no reason to back up because the Mets have been a, a, a franchise that hasn't really done anything since the 80s. So it's just like, I, from a mental standpoint, it's tough, right, to, to then collapse and kind of lose the division here to the Braves. But to me, it's like... I, st- I still got DeGrom and Scherzer yeah. at home. San Diego's got to come across the country. And you're right, Machado and Soto, and that lineup is just deep, and it's going to be tough to navigate through. But pitching usually wins in the playoffs. And, okay, mm-hmm. Darvish and DeGrom, Scherzer and Musgrove. I mean, how are you not feeling okay if you're the Mets there? Now, again, that hurts you going into the DS now. And, again, that's why I said try and take the buy out of it when you're looking at this because going to the DS now, those two guys are probably burned yeah. for the DS. And in a five-game series, that's a, that's huge because you're probably not yeah. getting them until game three or four. And now you're you're hoping that Chris Bassett can, can throw a huge game for you, um, which tonight he couldn't even make it out of the third. So, obviously, from that standpoint, it's massive. But to me, it's like – I think it's more important for the Braves to win the division than it is for the Mets. Yeah, taking out the buy in the context of what comes next and not having your pitching staff lined up, I agree. I think the the Mets, that's what they've built for is to match up well in any playoff series when they can line up to Grom and Scherzer. Against anybody. Against anybody. That That's the whole point of why they pump money into him. That's the whole point of having the two of them at the top of your rotation is that – any playoff series, if we're getting them in game one and two, we're comfortable. Now, you know, again, it, it's even Snell from the Padres standpoint, like he's been so good. And if he goes out and commands it the way he's capable of commanding it, what and the way he has in the second half, like you're talking about a one nothing ball game. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, 
you know, predict anything or guarantee anything, but I have a little bit more faith in, in if DeGrom and Snell are going back and forth, both being, you know, the quality arms that they are getting the swings and misses and dominating. I kind of trust the Padres a little bit more to squeak one or two across with the middle of the order that they have compared to the, the Mets kind of, I feel like that lineup is prone to get a little dominated if Snell has his best stuff because, you know, when Snell has his best stuff, it's, it's been really good down the stretch. So, you know, I do agree that I think it's a little bit more important for the Braves to, to win the division when it comes down to how they match up in that first series, um, in that, in that three game series and, and having to play the Padres. Because I do think the Mets would have a better chance to get through that three game series with the horses that they have at the top, but I mean, from from the standpoint of of having to play the Padres, that is not the team you want to draw. Like just at the end of the day, like I know they've been underwhelming, but that that is a team that you blink, and next thing you know, they're playing in Game Six of the NLCS, and everybody's saying, "Wow, when they get Tatis back, and if they make some savvy moves this offseason, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with." Yeah, and I think that's what what makes the NL so exciting this year. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm turning a blind eye to it, some of the teams in the AL. Um, you know, really there aren't a lot of teams in the AL that excite me that much. Like I can make a case for the Astros, obviously, and I can make a case for the Yankees. And I, from there, it's like no one really trusts the Indians – or the Guardians, sorry. No one really trusts the Guardians. No one, you know – and then you look at the, the, the wild card teams and like, yeah, the Blue Jays are in, but I think they've severely underperformed this year. And I'm still waiting for some of those guys to click. Tampa, same thing. It doesn't feel like – I mean, we've talked about the injury, but what they, for the fact that they're in already and they've clinched is impressive to me because most teams they wouldn't have been able to survive the injuries they have, but it doesn't feel like a traditional Tampa team, at least of the not, not of the last two years. You know, that Tampa mm-hmm. team that went to the World Series, it's not what this team is. And then the Mariners, for me, it was like the Mariners, it was just about getting in, right? Yeah. Getting in for the first time since 01 and breaking that drought. So, But then you look at the NL and, and – you just talked yourself into the Padres being in game six of a CS. Everybody knows the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. These two teams in the East have been two of the best teams, right? And then you look at the card, the Cardinals who have been, you know, the Cardinals since June, right? Probably one of the best teams in the league since the All-Star break. You know, the only team that I don't really feel comfortable with in the NL is, is whoever gets in that last wild card, whether it's the Brewers or the Phillies. Because compared to the other five teams, they're so flawed. In yeah. so many different ways, uh, you know the Phillies have still have some defensive issues. Their offense seems to lack power, even though that's what's built to at some points. The bullpen's getting tired. They've had to log so many innings this year, and they they had to fight the uphill battle of, of the horrible start they had. And then the Brewers, we've we've talked about for you know we we've done a couple episodes on the Brewers and what their issues have been. Right? They they don't they lack the lineup depth. The starting pitching has had injuries. The hater trade has made the bullpen kind of head scratching, and they just, you know, they blew a couple games to the Marlins this weekend, and put themselves in this position where now it look, they're going to need like a miracle, right? They got to win out, and the Phillies have to lose out. So that being said, though, the NL—it's like th- there's five real contenders in the NL, and just yeah. watching that is going to be so awesome. Now I expect the Dodgers to still get there at the end, but to to your point, if it's any of the other five, you know, if it's any of those five teams that are in the World Series at the end of it, I wouldn't be surprised. No, not one bit. I mean, there, there's so much talent. And, you know, I mean, in terms of talent, what's the team with probably the least on paper talent? It's probably the Cardinals, and they're pretty darn good, you know. And, and I, I don't know if like their pitching staff lines up great in a playoff series. That's just my opinion, you know. I, I don't think they have the dominant ace, particular. Um, you know, that's what Jack Flaherty is supposed to be, and obviously, he has been dealing with the injury bug for the last couple of years. Um, but they have the superstars in their lineup, so in a short series, it's you get Nolan and, and Goldie hot, and next thing you know, you're you're getting four and five spots hung on any of your arms. Um, so it, it is interesting, and it's just so much more deeper than than the American League right now. Like even the Rays, like who are you throwing out there in a winner take all? Like right now, Shane McClanahan is not punching out tickets. He's tired. You could tell that shoulders, you know 
causing him issues. He's just not the same pitcher he was at the beginning of the year, which is normal. He's 25 years old. He's probably never exceeded 150 innings in a calendar year and, and everything of that, that he's getting to the point of. So, you know, are you turning to a fresh Tyler glass now? Is he coming out of the pen? Like, how are we, how are we managing this situation? And, and, you know, I really do like the blue Jays and Mariners in terms of talent, but it feels like they're a year early or two years early, both those teams, you know, I feel like those teams still have some, some things to stack um, and kind of, kind of get better and continue to add to those rosters and bring up prospects and, you know, kind of fill out the, the edges of those rosters. But um, obviously you have the, the Yankees and the Astros who are very, very good and, and going to probably meet in the ALCS and it'll be a very good uh, matchup there, but there's no doubt about it. The National League has five legitimate contenders that I would not be surprised one bit if they were they were the ones standing in the end of October facing the American League champ. It's funny that you talk about a team that doesn't stack up on paper, just to say how loaded the NL is. Yeah. <laughs> on paper, the Cardinals don't stack up, and then you mention that they have uh, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in the middle of their order. Mm-hmm. And you're not wrong, but it's like that's how good the NL is. And that being said, though, like the Cardinals, even if they don't have the arms that some of these other teams do, would you be shocked if they run out there and they find a way to patchwork it together? No. You wouldn't. Like, you wouldn't. If Jordan Montgomery is all of a sudden throwing six, seven innings, quality innings in playoff series, mm-hmm. and, and Flaherty can be healthy, and, and Hudson, and like Wayno's going out there and turn, continuing to just find ways to get soft contact, it's like, you wouldn't be shocked, and they're going to pick yeah, it. No, you know be. they're going to play defense. You know they're strong on the corners. They're strong up the middle. They're good in the outfield. It's just like, oh man, they're just so solid. Yeah, and, and so really in the NL is just wide open. And some of those teams in the AL again, the Toronto. Like I think because of what Toronto did last year, everyone was really expecting them to push the Yankees, and it never happened. Um, and they, again, there's just been some underperformance throughout on the mound and at the plate yeah. for them. And that just kind of kind of hurts them. And the Rays, you really highlighted their their issues on the mound there. And and same thing with the lineup. They're just not getting the same production that they, they have in years past. It's not like they don't put the pressure on teams like they have in years past. No. Um, so it's like what happens? You know, you would expect the two favorites to go through. And, you know, the Yankees have started to roll again here, right? They've, they've figured it out. And in large part due to a guy, the fact that they have a guy at the top of their order who has 61 home runs, right? And that's kind of what we want to get into tonight is we're not ignoring the fact that Aaron Judge has been out there. We just wanted to wait until it felt like the right time. I mean, how good of a season is this? Put this up there with some of the other seasons we've seen in our lifetime. How good of a season is this that he's having? You know, I I find this such a tough you know, question to answer because obviously the fact that, you know, it's in New York and all the things like that. I do want to preface the fact that in my mind, in my mind, 73 is still the number, right? That's just my opinion. Me too. It's just my opinion. I don't care if it happened. There's no difference between the, they all play 162, right? What's the American league record versus the national league record? Like this is not, it's not a different game. They all, they all get the same at bats. Plus you factor in the fact of how many times Barry Bonds got walked that year and, and he would hit 85. And, and the fact that Sam Fran is a absolute crater for hitters <laughs> until like late September because when gets, you finally think gets about that O three 3 season, I, we need to be talking about, we want to talk about Aaron Judge here, but I know, you I talk know. about that O three 3 season, are you kidding me? Yeah. He was, it's I mean, so- like... The part that no, he didn't get pitched to, it. and when he, it was pretty much like every time he got pitched to, he hit a home run. Yeah, I mean we're talking about like sixty six hundred on base, six hundred on <sighs> base, not slugging, six hundred on base. Like th- these are the numbers this guy was putting up. Like steroids or not, it, it does not matter. He was putting on a absolute clinic. So 73 will be the number. I don't see any difference in the America. So the the hype of 62 and the, the hype of all this, it's just – it's not cutting it for me, right? But that's not anything that to take away from what Aaron Judge is doing, right? Because 62 home runs, put into perspective what 62 home runs 
means. And, and I mean, obviously he's stuck at 61 now, but how many home runs do you have to hit? Like every week, sixty-one to get oh. to sixty-one. <laughs> to get to sixty-one, you know what I'm right. saying? Like it, it's you can't go three games without at least averaging a homer because there's 162 games. It's a 162 game season. What I what I you think know? does it for me? Agreed, and, and 73 is the number for me as well. But I think what does it for me with Judge is when you <clears throat> when you put into perspective a couple of things. He leads the league in homers. He leads the league in. RBIs. He leads the league in run scores. He leads the league in walks. He leads the league in, in league in on base percentage, slugging, OPS, OPS plus, total bases. He's doing everything, and he's second in average. I mean, you're talking about a guy yeah. who's percentage points away from winning a triple crown. And the last triple crown we had was Cabrera, and Cabrera did it hitting forty some home runs. Not like yeah. that's what makes it so impressive to me. Is like you're talking about a guy who has sixty one homers. And he's competing for a triple crown because he's not yeah. gone to just all home run or bust, right? It's that's not how he's been. There's been times where he's gone through, you know, some home run slumps a little bit because it seems to me he's hit him kind of in bunches a lot too, right? He's yeah. got a lot of multi homers. He's got a lot of weeks where he's just racked him up, but then there'd be a couple weeks where he has one home run, and it's not like he's making a bunch of outs. Mm-mm. He's taking what he gets and he's hitting singles. Mm-hmm. And add on top of that. You know, we had a whole podcast where we talked about being out on the Yankees, which, again, I think I'm still leaning Astros, and I don't think the Yankees yeah. quite are complete enough. But in those times when the Yankees were really down and struggling post-All-Star break, and the reason that they're back where they are is because of Aaron Judge. I mean, when yeah. you talk about Rizzo went down, LeMahieu went down, John Carlo was down for forever, it was Judge. And yeah, there was a stretch there where it was Judge, and it was, their their team was if if Judge produces for us tonight, we got a shot, boys. And yeah. he cared. He didn't. And in New York, where there's all that pressure, he's just taking it in stride. And I think that's what's so polarizing. And again, if it wasn't in New York, we wouldn't be interrupting your college football games on Saturdays on ESPN <laughs> to cut into Aaron Judge live at bats, which people are just losing their minds over. Um, but the fact that you add all of those things in, it just makes it even more impressive to me. And yes, mm-hmm. again, 73 is the number. But still, to see him potentially set the Yankee record and the AL record and have the season where he could potentially win a triple crown while hitting that many homers. I mean, it's kind of what we all saw in 2017 was possible. If this guy can stay healthy, he's a freak. Yeah, he is a freak. And and it's he's been better in the second half. You know, when 2017, he had that great first half and then scuffled, right. then got hot at the end. And part of the reason Altuve walked away with the MVP was just the consistency factor of not riding the, the roller coaster of, you know, the MVP first half with the, you know, average second half and then finishing off with a good month. Well, this year, Judge, whether you want to call it not doing the home run derby or or anything that you want to theorize with that, got better. I mean, he flat out got better. I know he came out of the gates in the second half and and hit a ton of home runs right off the bat and and kind of had that really good stretch where he was just killing it. But he was probably went to the break at what, like 290, 295? I mean, he's up to 315 average-wise now. And, And you're right about the fact that, you know, the fact that he's not selling out for just Homer. He's just staying within his approach. But the other thing, too, that I think makes it even more impressive and might make it more impressive than 73 is the fact that nobody's close to 61. Correct. Right. This year, no one's Kyle close. Kyle Schwarber has 40. Like they dead in right. the baseballs. he's in second. Yep. And they dead in the baseballs this year. And it's like, Judge just goes, oh, okay. Like, yeah, sure. I'm not going to hit him 480, but I'll still hit him 435, 440. And I'm still going to hit like, that's the most impressive part of it all is the fact that in, you know, relation to the league in relation to his competition in relation to everything, like, and let me just, let me just put that into perspective a little bit more for everyone. So in relation to the league, right. I'm going to, for people who are a little more analytically minded here, average exit velocity, he's in the hundredth percentile. Expected weighted on base percent, uh, average, 100th percentile. Barrel percentage, 100th. 
Max exit velocity, 99. Expected batting average, 99. Hard hit percentage, 100. Expected slug, 100. Walk percentage, 100. Chase rate, 80th. Outs above average, 78th. I mean, compared to every, and that's the thing too for me, is like compared to every, like you just, you, you, you squared it up. Compared to what everyone else is doing this year, yeah. offense has been down across the league. For this guy, it's not. It's not. Not it's, even close. It's looked easy. Right. Easy. Yeah. And it, it, it really, you know, I always used to think, and I mean, I still do believe this um, now. And I know the comment that a lot of people say is that, you know, well, he's a, he's a matchup nightmare for a lot of right-handed hitters, but Max Scherzer to me has always been what you could kind of epitomize into what Aaron Judge struggled with, right? The, the ability to go high and in with the fastball and low and away with the slider, right? So just Max Scherzer's, the way he pitches is, I just always felt like was going to expose Aaron Judge, right? And and it just kind of gave you a, an idea of what, how pitchers could attack him. That was back in 2017, 2018, 2019. What he's done this year just a, has allowed him to cover those holes, right? He's dominating the high and end fastball, good fastballs, bad fastballs. He's dominating the low and end fastball. He's dominating, he's taking the low and away slider. That's kind of the the book on him is, you know, he might have an, the occasional swing and miss on a, on a really good s- slider that's low and away. But other than that, he's covering everything. Like he, he is, his heat map right now is basically don't touch the zone because he's crushing even out of the zone high and in he's hitting for power and authority. What, what do you, have you seen any adjustment that has allowed him to do that this year? Do you think it's a maturation thing? Do you think it's a, something finally clicked? Do you think it's an adjustment that he made? Have you seen anything to support any of that? Yeah, I think he's flatter. Um, You know, I, I kind of always had this, I mean, you know, we, we can talk about ball flight all day and, and all the things like that. But if you really go watch, back and watch the 2017 Home Run Derby, and if you watch, because they do the, the center field camera angle and then flip it, and then you can kind of see where the ball lands, right? So when you watch Aaron Judge hit in, in 2017, the ball would be hit to straightaway center field and then land in right center. Right. And right. and what that kind of told me is you have an you know, a defensive end in the NFL sized guy who just goes up there and he's able to lose his front side, lose his posture, but as long as he stays on time, he's allowed to get he he allows the ball to get so deep and he's allowed to let all these things happen because he's so strong and he can miss hit balls and side spin balls that get out at right, you know, at the short porch and Yankee stadium and, and all these things like that, like his ball flight at that point in time, you know, it told me that his front side was just flying open. Right. And he was kind of, you know, just, just playing straight up the middle. He knew how strong he was. He knew what he was capable of. And, you know, a lot of people, obviously his hitting coach is pretty controversial. Um, and for people that are on Twitter actively, and, and that's what worked for him because of his size, right? If me, you, any, you know, normal guy, Scott Kingery, you know, go to, go to <laughs> hit with these guys, you know, because, you know, that guy ruined Scott Kingery's career. Not if you, he won't mention that if he, if you look at his YouTube page, but, you know, he Scott Kingery's been a shell of himself since he started working with Aaron Judge's hitting coach because that stuff don't work for for five eight hundred sixty pound guy. Um, so what I've kind of noticed this year is the whole you know dumping the barrel thing and idea that that kind of worked. He's still using his body the same way where he kind of swings before his front foot hits the ground um, and kind of just rotating around his backside because he's so strong, but he's flatter. So the high and end fastball, all he has to do is is recognize it, which he's always been elite at, and he's flat. You know, he, he's flat from right. from posture. He's flat from shoulder height. It's a, it's pretty much exactly what we talked about. You know, a couple episodes back about you know just being able to be on plane for a really long time, and that's allowing him to get 
truer ball flight, but even for him, the ball flight doesn't really matter. He's so strong. He puts balls in play at such a high rate um, with such such force that that's not even what matters. It's just the ability to not swing through it, right? So you watch him on these high fastballs, good high fastballs, and he's just able to clip guys, and he doesn't even have to catch it flush. You know, he could run into a ball and, and miss hit it at, at 106, you know, to the pull side a little bit. And guess what? He's he's trotting because he's that strong. I mean, he can even get beat in two strike counts and just go down the line, you know, to right field and, and just let it get so deep because of how strong he is. So you combine the fact of the physical freak, the, the barrel awareness skills that, you know, is just mind boggling from a guy that's that big um, combined with the fact that now he's on plane with everything, he gets good side bend on the the curve balls. He gets good, you know, he stays tall on the high fastball, and and it just puts him in a position to miss nothing. Right, and I remember there was a, you know, in the, the last couple years there was some talk from from you know some some people who watched him about how he couldn't, you know, what's wrong with him because he couldn't pull a home run. And I think what you've seen this year is, is a lot of what you're talking about is how he's corrected that, right? He's gotten flatter and, and you kind of pointed out and you watched him in the 17 Derby and it would, you know, it looked like it was headed to center and it would land right center because he was just, he was kind of slicing because he was able to pull out. And now he kind of stays through that stuff and, and he can catch it. And so you see him pull it. And so that's kind of where it's like, okay, well, is that, was that just an approach thing or an adjustment thing? That's kind of what I was thinking about. Because when, what makes it so difficult, as you said, is how many guys in Major League Baseball right now can miss hit a ball, especially they like they've deadened the baseballs, offenses down across the league, and you got a guy who can miss hit the ball and still easily, easily hit it out. I mean, there's 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 one guy in the league who can do that right now, and it's him. Everyone else yeah. is going to have to get flush. I don't care who you're talking about. I mean, the only other guy right now that's even close is Trout. To being able to do something like that, where you're talking about miss hitting and still getting it out, and that's just because Trout's swing is so pure and he's so strong, right? But you look at even yeah. some of the stronger guys. You know, Schwarber's a horse; he can't do that. I mean, you look at some of the best hitters in the game. If they miss hit the ball, it ain't getting out, and it's not easily getting mm-hmm. out. But and, and and people want to talk about, ah, oh, well, Judge plays in a bandbox. Well, he's doing it everywhere. I don't care yeah. where you put that guy right now. It doesn't matter. And it's just so impressive to watch someone dominate this sport that's so hard <laughs> to play. Yeah. And he's put this year up that is just incredible. And again, he's doing it in a pressure-packed city. And he had to carry the team for a stretch. And everyone was losing their minds. Like, they're how, like the city was burning down. And he just <laughs> continued to go out there every day and, and continue to put up these numbers that are just you know and that's why when you get into the you know people want to debate Shohei versus Judge I get it Shohei's one of one but at some point we have to respect what Aaron Judge is doing and he deserves to be yeah you know he deserves accolades for what he's doing he deserves the award this isn't 280 with 40 you know, no, like it's not right. It's exactly. 315 with 60. with 60. Like, like I know when we get up to the forties, thirties, forties, a lot of home runs is a lot of home runs, but like people aren't putting into perspective how much 60 is like, that's unbelievable to put up 60 homers and Shohei's great. He's a unicorn, but again, and, and it, maybe this is, is our fault, but he at some point you have to compare Shohei to Shohei, right? Was this right. his best year in comparison to the competition? When and and when if like I said, if it, if you take Aaron Judge's season out of it, there's no debate. But Aaron Judge is having a historic season. Sixty home runs is unbelievable at three fifteen in New York on a playoff team, playing center field, all the things like that. And I get it. Shohei's on the mound. He's been great on the mound. He's been really good at the plate recently too. But just at the end of the day, it's just when you're talking about 315 and 60, it's a lot different than 280 with 40, which is what you know he was in 2017. And and back to your point about about pulling the baseball, it, it you know, with Judge it I actually had a Back in the social media days, um, I'm sure it wouldn't take me that long to find it, but I guess you could call him some some nerd. But 
um, some <laughs> analytics guy was in my Twitter feed telling me that judge needs to pull more baseballs. And this was right. probably in 2019. So, you know, and my whole argument was I'm as, and anybody who knows me, anybody who's listening to this podcast knows this, I'm as new age as new age can be. I'm as pool in the air. It's the most effective, you know, route like to hitting for power. We want to hit for power. We want to get to the pool side. But I said two things. One, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? This guy's competing at an MVP level and credit to him for making the adjustment because I I don't know if I could do, you know what I'm saying? Like if somebody came to me and said, hey, I got this idea for you. I think it could take you from 280 to 315 and from 40 to 60. You know, are you willing to bet on yourself and you willing to trust me? I don't, I'd be like, dude, I'm comfortable with 280 and 40. I'm going to make a lot of money in this league. I'm going to have a lot of MVP votes. Like I'm all right with 280 and 40 and and signing my free agent contract. But he did take that next step and develop to, to be on plane. And, And my other point was, is you don't understand how his approach, the way he's taught to hit is if he starts trying to sell out to pull for a guy who already loses his posture, like that's just ineffective. Like then you're just top spinning balls to the pool side at 115. Then you're hooking balls foul. Then you keep can't can't keep it within the pole. And what what's made Aaron Judge so special this year and what makes him so special as a player is his ability to just kind of sit back on his backside and just stay big part and just trust it, right? And guess what comes after you're, you know, you're three months into the season, you got 25, 30 pumps, you're feeling good. Oh, now I'm going to open up a little bit and start to free up that pull side. It's a and lot think, easier to adjust to get to the pull side after being comfortable going big part and it allows your body to move freely. And then once your eyes start to get up to speed, once your body starts to get up to speed, then next thing you know, you're taking the same approach and just going backspin to the pull side. Well, I just think that you you saw those confident swings early in the year and then and then as you said like it's like a snowball and it just continued to build momentum where then you would see him cheat pitches and be right cuz i think some of that plays into it right is when you when you're up there and you're having the success especially early on that he did and when you're that good it's like okay now i like it's it's i can guess right and i don't want to make it seem as simple as that but it's just the confidence thing of being in the box and understanding what people are trying to do to you and you just being in complete control as soon as you step in the box so then you can free up like you said and hit those just monstrous poolside homers and that has been huge for him and you've seen it and i think a lot of that just comes from the confidence of like okay i'm rolling now and and it's no longer a struggle. I'm not fighting anything right now because he just really he hasn't slumped. When you put up 60 and hit 318, you're not slumping, no. right? Like you, you don't impossible. slump all year essentially, right? Um, and man, it's just it's been it's been incredible. Um, switching switching sides of the ball real quick. Um, before we get out of here, I just want to talk a little bit. You know, we talked about. The Yankees is one of the possible favorites in the AL and, and the favorite in the American League is the Astros. And we've mentioned many a times on this podcast what a factory um, they've become. But this this came across the Twitter feed um, Saturday morning. They have three guys, Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, and Christian Javier. Sorry, four guys. Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, and Jose Urquidy, who have combined to throw 652 and two-thirds innings this year with a 3-3 ERA. So you take out Justin Verlander and the fact that he's turned back the clock and you have these four other guys in your rotation who have combined to log, you know, a big chunk of your innings for the year. And they've done it at a pace that leads, right, would lead the league, those four guys in Team ERA. And I think when a couple things make this impressive, one of which was was put in this thread here which makes it super impressive. But one of the things I think that makes it just so incredible to me is the fact that when so many teams are looking for pitching depth, to have four guys who, if you ask the average baseball fan, would not be able to name one of these guys, to be able to put together that log that many innings and do it with that much quality. I mean, you're talking about they also have a combined 1-1 whip. I think that is what's so impressive about the Astros because – these guys were four international free agents that the Astros went and found. Four international who free agents whose combined signing bonus was one hundred and forty thousand. 
their combined salary this year is, is not even $6 million. So when you look across the league at, at these teams who are trying to get into the playoffs and you look at the teams who are vying for, for postseason position, and you look at some of the guys that they're having to pay, right? Again, being a Philly fan, that payroll always will jump front of the mind, right? You, you think about the, just the, the four guys in Real Muto, Harper, Castellanos, and Schubert, the amount of money that they had to shell out to get them, the amount of money they had to sign Wheeler for. You look at the Mets, they had to, you know, they had to shell out for Scherzer to, to get that to get that one, two to be top in the league. The Yankees and what they've paid Garrett Cole and then the prospects they had to give up to get Montas to try and be formidable. And and then you look at the Astros and the Dodgers do this so well too. And maybe not in the rotation as much, right? Because they've got some names in the rotation. But to get four international free agents at that much of a discount to then log 652 and two-thirds. Obviously, you and I are going to talk about it because you and I talk about how important scouting and developing is once a week on here, right? But to think Uh about, to be able to scout those guys and then develop them once you get into your system to then turn into four horses for you that can give you home field advantage throughout a playoffs to go win a World Series. I mean, that's just what everyone should be chasing. Yeah, and it's, you know, and it's not even, you know, scouting's obviously a part of it because you have to identify things and traits that you like in these guys, but it really comes down to development. I mean, at the end of the day, would you rather would you rather have Christian Javier this year on the contract that he's on at the age that he's at with the, you know, return on investment that he's been or would you rather go pay 40 million to Max Scherzer? There's a debate right. because of just right. flat out return on investment. Like if we're looking at this with a, you know, on paper, no name, nothing, just return on investment. We're not talking about actual value they bring, just value in comparison to what you invested. I would take Christian Javier. And I don't think that's out of left field either. Like I know no, off I the would, top I'm, of I'm right the there heat, with you. It's it's like, what are you talking about? But the ability to identify traits that you know you can develop and B, make them into for, develop them into formidable, beyond formidable major league starting pitchers is the name of the game. And anybody can do this. Any, any organization doesn't matter what your payroll is, doesn't matter how many people show up at your stadium, it does not matter. There's not a single thing that the Astros did with these four guys that would be an elite rotation without Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers in it. Them alone would be an elite rotation. There is not an organization in the Major League Baseball that cannot do the exact same thing with these four guys. But the Astros are better than every other organization, and it comes down to their scouting and their development. The other thing that's really impressive about these four guys which one of the four are are the same? Right, and that's that's what I was going to talk about. It's just not a single they, one of them. They not only have they developed these guys, they found them and developed them. And going back to your point there, where it's that that's why they are the best. Every other team in the league could has the resources to sign those same four guys. It's not like they they outbid. And, and they could get more, right? You're talking about a combined signing bonus of 140K, right? Every team in Major League Baseball, I don't care how, you know, how much the A's try and cry poor or Pittsburgh tries to cry poor or any of these teams like that do it, they all have $140,000 that they can allocate to international free agents and it could be those four guys. And then where you talk about it is is if those four guys were signed by the Oakland A's, I can tell you what – the numbers wouldn't look the same. No. And that's not necessarily a shot at the A's. That's just my that's just saying that the Astros have just figured it out and understand how to develop. And then you talk about how they're all different. Every single one of them does something different. So now you get them into your system and not only did you scout them and, and do a good job of finding four guys who are going to be able to contribute, but then you had the wherewithal to be able to develop what they do well figure out a way for them to be successful and put them on that path so that then they, they do turn into this, you know, elite staff. Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. It's way harder said than done, right? It's way easier said than done. You know, it's way harder to execute. Yes. It's way harder to put it into practice. And the Astros have just done such a phenomenal job of being able to translate that information to the player, put them in a position to be successful and continue to develop them. I mean, I, and this is not me tooting my own horn, but you looked at Christian Javier's stuff last year and you're like, this guy, if he ever gets a chance to start, is going to yep. be elite, elite. Like it was, there was no question in my mind that I was like, if, if the Astros are ever thin enough to let this guy get 25, 30 starts, he's never coming out of the rotation. I truly did believe that. Now, why did he pitch out of the pen? Because Framber Valdez's stuff doesn't play out of the pen as well. Like when you're at right. that point where you just have a luxury of riches where it's like, well, Christian Javier's fastball slider combo out of the pen, it's just lethal. Lethal. So why are we going to, you know, if we don't need him in the rotation, why are we going to put him in the rotation? Well, this year they needed him in the rotation and he came out and he was just, I mean, he, he doesn't get enough talk about the Cy Young at this point. I mean, he really should because he's, his numbers have been unreal and it's just, he's overshadowed. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, he's overshadowed more because of the name of the guy at the top than it is because of the actual you know, I Justin Verlander had a very good year. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but you know, if it wasn't for his name being Justin Verlander and the history that comes with that, you know, it might be Christian Javier and that other. Or if guy they were on different at, teams, at, even at this point, yeah, 100. percent So, you know, just the ability to just put each and every one of these guys in a position to be successful, to translate the information from to them. You know, it's not easy to have an international sign and come in and be able to have your analytics department, guys like me and you speak not a lick of Spanish, translate that to the right person who can translate to to that guy in the language that that guy understands, not only – literally language that guy understands, but also figuratively baseball language that guy understands and then have him put it into practice and continue to have the feedback necessary to continue to develop. So whatever they've done in that, in that realm is amazing because they've obviously had some success in that international signing world. But, you know, it's just, it, it really is unbelievable to think that any team, any team, I mean, you, the A's, the Pirates, the the you know anybody, the Twins, the the low market teams that you want to talk about year in and year out that can't seem you know to fill out the to back compete end of with the rotation. big boys, right? Yeah, right. Like and that's wanna, what that's, wanna, it's brutal. Think 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 about this, right? You talk about those are you know McCullers and Verlander are probably at the, I mean you could argue obviously Javier and those guys Javier's up there with them but let's just take those fours let's say they're your back end four right you're talking about Verlander McCullers Valdez Javier or Quiddy Garcia and it's like okay we talk about the Mets all the time being this great staff and it's like who would you rather have DeGrom Scherzer Bassett Taiwan Carrasco. Walker and Cookie Carrasco or those six and you're talking about a six starter. I mean, there are teams who, you know, you're never going to get through a 162 game season with five. You need at least six that can, at least six. A lot of teams use seven, eight, nine throughout the year at some points. And you're talking about you have these six who are going to give you this much quality. And just to dunk on everyone else, right? The easiest thing to scout in a pitcher is what? Velocity. Any monkey Velocity, with a radar yeah. gun can sit back there and tell you that this guy is better. Not one of these guys throws in the upper third of the league in fastball velocity. Yeah. Not one of them. There's in the upper third, right? So the hardest throw of them all is Javier, right? And he's in the the 55th percentile of of, of Velo. 55th. So like just to dunk on everyone else, it's like not only are we this good at, at scouting and developing, like we don't even need to do it with the easiest thing, which is Velo. It's not like, oh, wow, how did the Astros find these four guys that threw 100 miles an hour? No, they were able to find, again, 
They were able to find four guys for that money and then develop them using the strengths that they had outside of fastball velo to still get it. Again, I, I understand that, you know, again, Javier, who throws the hardest, right? He, he spins the heck out of his fastball and he spins the curveball even better. And that's what makes him yeah. so good and so hard to hit, right? Is because he can just create weak contact by by being able to to use the heat map of fastball up and then drop the curveball at the bottom of the zone. But he's also got a really good slider. Yep. Right. He's also got a really good slider. He also has an effective changeup that he can he can drop on you once in a while. Framber Valdez even more so. Right. He's gonna he's gonna mix. He's gonna throw the kitchen sink at you, and he's gonna he's gonna mess your timing up with with his delivery. But like that's what the Astros were teaching him to do. That yep. is exactly what the Astros were teaching him to do. Right. It's like okay, well you can throw the kitchen sink. You can throw the kitchen sink and major and get major league hitters out. So let's lean into it, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And then let's add in the wrinkle of messing with timing. And now I'm trying yeah. to protect four or five pitches. You know, I'm, I got a sinker going this way. He's going to cut it. He's going to pull the string on me. He's going to throw a slider off of it, and he's going to he's going to. I never know when he's coming to the plate. Right? It's Nestor yeah. Cortez to me times two. Yeah. And, you know, for me, Urquidy is obviously the one who's over his skis a little bit the most. If you look at some of his peripherals, right? Like he's gotten, he's gotten, I think, a lot of batted ball luck this year. But still, it's not that much over the year. If, if he pitched again for – if he was having this year and he was pitching for the Reds or the Twins or one of those teams where I don't – maybe not so much the Twins, but the Reds really or, or some one of these other teams, the Pirates, the A's, and he was having these numbers, I wouldn't believe it as much. I'd say, okay, look out next year. He's going to get hit really hard. But when it's the Astros – I yeah. believe he could repeat this year. Next year, he could be the same. Mm-hmm. Because they'll they'll know what to do to make him better. And, right, and it's just that's it, how it's, good they it's are. So it's so sad because you know I, I don't want to say the exact exact date. Well, I mean, we're, now we're just running through my 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 Twitter interactions. But there was a point when I was in college that was probably 2018, 2019, where I mean, we're talking about reputable websites. You know, this was kind of when the spin rate and the the whole movement was kind of coming out. And you know, MLB.com was still using Velo as a you know grade of a fastball. Oh, it's an 80 grade fastball because it's a hundred and whatever. Right. And teams were still drafting off of Velo. And I know there's right. several teams that that leaned into the Velo and there is one hundred percent evidence of you know, the higher, the harder you throw, the more success you're going to have. Yes, 100%. There's no doubt about that. But it's hard to maintain 98, 99 for your whole career. So if you're really investing on a high school or 18 year old who throws 98, 99, you know, that's a conversation for a different day. But, you know, you talk about when Christian Javier, when Luis Garcia, when Framber Valdez, when Jose or Kitty, when they were signed, this was not during the spin rate is evidence craze when these right. guys started right. being developed when when all these well, things you think about coming. you just mentioned 2018 as when the spin rate craze really for everyone started to take off right which is on the heels of what the astros winning the a world series in 17 yeah. right the astros in berlin or trade the yep. astros right astros showing everyone what what it meant to spin a fastball yeah exactly and and you know i i remember Driveline posted an article and, you know, I just was like, you know what? I'm curious. So I responded or Bodie and I said, when are MLB organizations going to start using this information to truly evaluate a fastball? That was basically as simple as my question. And he wrote back and said, there are a couple that do. And I guarantee we can figure out what the couple are that did. You know what I'm saying? It's the Dodgers. It's the Rays. It's the Astros. And like, they were ahead of the game before it became the thing, the you know, the craze, the information that we all had, and it's just it's crazy to think about, you know, in what perspective I, of everything. What I think frustrates me, though, to, to that point, is that fact that it's now twenty twenty two. Sure, in seventeen and eighteen and sixteen, even fifteen, and who knows how far back it really goes with the Astros, right? I mean, we can we can sort of figure out to a point, but my point is, is twenty twenty two now. There's no excuse that teams can't have this figured out now, and there's so many organizations who are still coming up short when we're talking about being able to to draft and develop, 
right? Like there's no way that the Astros should still be and the Dodgers and the Rays should be all still being able to dunk on teams as much as they do. And that's where you talk about the kind of the divide, right, in Major League Baseball, why there's so many teams that are at the bottom of bottom of the league and can't seem to do this and have to find different ways. But they're really in 2022. It shouldn't be. And and I'm not saying you need to replicate it because obviously you can't completely replicate it. But the fact that we have all this information and we know how to that to the point where me and you can sit here on our couches and talk about this stuff. The fact that there's so many organizations out there who are still swinging and missing is so frustrating to me. This shouldn't be unique at this point. Am I crazy no. for thinking that? It it should be 100% just normal. Like, oh, he right. has a high spin, high vertically moving fastball. Let's locate it up in the zone. And this and is how we use it. And, if, and, and this and is how we point, use it. to that point, though – and if it's not high spin, and if it's not good vertical movement, and this guy can really sink it, let's. Why can't we figure out how to work that? Barrel it. Yeah. Why can't Down we figure out how to use that? Right. Exactly. Like yeah. That, that's what frustrates me so much. Is like, why are we still trying to? You know. Obviously, it was like no one knew what was going on, and then the evolution now is we were. Everyone was trying to chase it, and everyone was trying to do the same thing. And it's like, why can't we figure out here that it's it's simple? It's just yeah. taking what a guy does best and maximizing it. I hate watching Brandon Nimmo walk. I think what <laughs> makes the Mets so unlikable outside of their fan base is the fact that they have players like Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil. Because <laughs> if you're respond, not a Mets fan, yeah. if you're not – sorry, just real quick. If you're not a Mets fan – there's no way anyone that's not a fan of the Mets can tell me that they're fans of those two players. You're not. Like, look, I'm I'm a, I'm a Phillies fan, so I understand that that might take them. But like, I'm I, I you know who I love? I love Ronald Acuna. He doesn't play for the Phillies. I love so many people in baseball. There's so many players that don't play for my team that I love. So it's not just a Mets hate thing. There's no fan of any team that's not the New York Mets in. in all of baseball that can tell me they like Nimmo or McNeil. Sorry. Yeah. But to respond to your point, it's, it's about individual development and whether it's stubbornness, which is definitely plays a part. Um, sure. I'm sure there are organizations that are out there that just don't want to use it. Well, I don't arrogance. think it's blatant. I just think it's, it's almost right. It's arrogance mixed with a little yeah. bit of the insecurities of not, fully understanding how to implement yeah and then i think the other thing is and this is probably the biggest issue is the fact that everybody want i mean i think we talked about this a little bit of the last episode that everybody wants to copycat each other right and go and they want to learn so what do they do they go on social media and find this this dude who spews nonsense till he's blue in the face on his Twitter account and give him an MLB job. And then he's on the field trying to relate with a guy and an 18 year old who's away from home for the first time who, you know, it's not real versus feel, you know what I'm saying? Like to that guy, it's like, Hey, get the head out. Let's pull the ball. Let's get it in the air. And this kid's top spinning balls and he's losing his posture and he can't do anything. And, and you don't understand the approaches that made that guy successful. The other thing is, it's like I, back to the individual development part. One of the things that irritates me up a wall is what made this guy, let's just say hypothetically a first round pick, Right. Why did you draft a guy in the first round if you're just going to turn around and change who he is? That's what the Dodgers do so well, right? They take a guy in the first round, a la Will Smith, a la Michael Bush, a la all these guys that are like not wow players out of the draft. They're just good players. And what do they do? They don't bring them in and say, you're good. We think this is what you need to do to be great. They say, you're really good at what you do, and I just want you to keep doing it. Do it. Let's maximize it. Do it every day. Let's maximize it. And guess what? Those guys end up a lot better than the guys, you know, like it's the, you know, Austin Hendricks gets drafted by the Reds and I guarantee the first thing they're doing to him is trying to cut down on his strikeouts and his swing and miss. And it's Jared Kelenic, you know, comes in major league struggles. Exactly. Why are you taking a guy in the first round if you think he needs to be changed? If he has all these flaws, then you shouldn't be investing the capital in him. 
Exactly. So these organizations that are really good at it don't mess with these guys. Sure, if you get to the point where like Aaron Judge, I mean, when did the Yankees, obviously he had his ups and downs coming up, but ain't nobody approaching him after his MVP season going, you need to change XYZ, you swing and miss too much, right? And then he continues to develop. You have to allow that development to be natural and you have to play to their strengths. It can't be you strike out too much. One of the things that's what irritates me the most is like, oh, this guy strikes out too much. Well, he also puts the ball in play really hard. Right. If he struck out too much and put the ball in play, like Jeff McNeely wouldn't be playing, he'd be drafted. He wouldn't right. be me and you. Right. He wouldn't be. Right. Right. And, and, and that is one of the things is like draft a guy who strikes out too much. Know what you're getting yourself into, A. The competition gets better, so he's not going to strike out less the every level right. he goes up. That's just that's just unrealistic to expect. You're not a good enough coach to give him better hand and eye coordination. That's just God given abilities. So the first thing you do is pull him in your office and go, "You're going to strike out a lot, and I don't care." Right? I don't care if it. Give and, him that freedom. Understand that, yeah, and understand that if there's a runner on third less than two outs, and it's the game winning run, he might strike out. But understand, he also might hit a home run. And that is the thing, the flaws that too many people make is as coaches and as player development people and as front office organizations, we they always think they need to fix, 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 well, fix, and you, fix. And you can fix everything, right? And you can it's fix the, everything. There's the ego part of it is that you can fix everything. Yeah. And, and to your point is, okay, if I'm an organization and, and I think this kid strikes out too much, then I'm not going to invest the first round pick in him. Okay. If that bothers me. Okay. Yeah. If that bothers me, that understand yourself and that if, if that's something that I don't value, and I'm not saying right or wrong in that, I'm just saying if that's something that is going to bother me, you then can't, I'm not going to invest that in that. Pill. Yeah. Then don't make that investment. Invest in invest mm-hmm. in another player who doesn't strike out as much. 100%. And it's just about the ability. like, And that's the other thing with a guy who strikes out too much. You give him the freedom to let him relax and know he's not going to have somebody breathing. He down might his cut neck down on the punch outs. Before. The strikeouts come down. I, I, they're not coming down. To, I mean, Aaron Judge is 24th percentile in K rate and he's having a historic season. Those are the guys, right? It, that's just who they are. It, I understand that, but it's not. It's, it's going to come down. Right. It's going to come down. It's good stuff. Well, we'll be back early next week as we close out the regular season. Um, and we get ready for playoff baseball. And hopefully we have a bunch more good content coming for everyone. Um, make sure to like, follow, subscribe um, at the backside GB pod. Um, follow us on Twitter. Take us out.